Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, two, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancana with two broken wrists and Brendan Mortensen with two functioning healthy wrists. What's that like, Brendan? You know, it, it's nice. I, I think you What's don't... it like to be able to button your shirt? It listen, it, it is a it is a luxury that I have that I am now appreciating more. What's the song that's like you don't know what you got till it's gone? They paved they paradise and put and up a parking put lot. Put up a parking lot. That one. They don't know broke the name two of wrists it. and put them in in splints. That they did. That they well, did. I mean, we got to give credit to that to that songwriter at some point. That was a very 2003 song. I yeah. Feel like I feel like I definitely heard you were, that of course, song. Not yet born. Right. Um, yeah. I am 13. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We do on the Mass and All Access podcast. Trade deadline was yesterday. We're gonna have Steve Molesky of MassandSports.com on in a bit to discuss some of the trades as we discuss these as well. But usually, Brendan, we like to open the podcast with a fun little anecdote from our lives. And we realized that we're boring. We are. We don't have anything to talk about on this. Like, we come into work, you know, we work for a, a game shift. You know, we're here watching the games. We watch some baseball. And then it's quarantine and there's a pandemic. So we go home and we eat some leftovers food. food. And we are just boring people at this stage of our lives. Pretty much, yeah. I've I've come to accept that this is what post college life is like. Well, that's that's what they say is the mid twenties are your most boring. And by right. that I mean nobody says that. Right. So well, that's what that's what I am currently saying about my early twenties is is that uh, post college has been working and eating leftovers, like you said. We we had tennis, so it's all the good, for a little bit, yeah. and then that was absolutely ruined. That was the one nobody's good fault. thing. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's nobody's fault. I don't know. I'm not maybe, blaming anyone. I'm not blaming anyone if, if for tennis being ruined. If you're not a regular listener of this podcast, first off, what are you doing? You have literally no excuse. It is free content, and it is everywhere to be found where podcasts are to be found. By the way, rate and subscribe. little nice bump there. But also, uh, I broke my wrist in a tennis game against Brendan, which, by the way, I think it bears repeating. I stayed in to play two and a half you more did. games. You did. Because you the took my game, medical expertise. The last game I almost won. Almost, again, I would like to reiterate, is a strong word. Also, to be fair, you were serving every point because I could not lift the, the, my arm above my shoulder. I was. At that point. Yeah. And, and before that, I mean, are, you were serving aces. Are we, are we hacks at this point to, to the point where we, the only content we have to talk about in our personal lives, are we this boring? Yes. Is something that occurred a week and a half I, ago? I think the answer you're looking for is absolutely. Unbelievable. That's... That's really sad. Well, let's talk that about some baseball because let's I think that's, that's what people actually tune in to listen for, and that is the fact that the Orioles made three trades yesterday. Uh, one trade, actually, two days ago, uh, and then uh, the Miguel Castro, or actually two trades two days ago, and then the, the Miguel Castro trade right at the buzzer at the 4 p.m. trade deadline yesterday. Brendan, I think we should go in chronological order, so let's go all the way back to the first deal that was made which was Tommy Malone being sent to the Atlanta Braves for two players to be named later. I think at least my gut reaction to this was 
getting anything for Tommy Malone, a guy who you signed to a minor league deal in February, that's a win. I was a little surprised personally that Tommy Malone was dealt because I I didn't see a ton of the value. He's not going to come in and be your number one, number two starter. But when you're the Atlanta Braves and you've got a rotation that's been pretty banged up throughout the year, it makes sense to bring in a guy who is going to be more or less a game manager. He'll probably give up four or five runs. He's not going to go eight innings, strike out ten. He'll go four or five innings, give up a few runs here and there. Unless, unless it's his first start Unless it's team. his first start on you charter the team a flight on Sunday Night there. Baseball. Usually. And you almost blow a 10-run lead. Usually he's going to be a good game manager. I should have prefaced yeah. by saying usually. But if you're the Orioles, you get not one but two players to be named later. And a, a fun little thing, I, I was curious as to who some of the better player to be named later guys were. Because you hear that and you usually think, well, it's not one of the top prospects. You're probably not getting anything amazing for Tommy Malone. But if you look throughout um, trades in history, some players to be named later include David Ortiz, Michael Brantley, and Trey Turner. When we talked about how the players to be named later this year are probably better than most players to be named later right. simply because... They could be anybody not on the in the sixty man player pool of a team. So, you know, they, these guys only they, these teams only have a certain number of guys they can fit in their alternate site. So they technically aren't allowed to trade these guys that are not on their sixty man player pool. But they can agree in principle to a deal, or they can give a team a list. And once the season ends and you are allowed to trade anybody within your system then you can trade the guy that was agreed to. You just can't announce it at this point. Right, and I think I said this on the on the last podcast as well, but if you need an example on the Orioles, Heston Kerstad, the number two overall pick, is currently not on the 60-man player pool. So if he were to right. be dealt, he would technically be a player to be named later. So right. it's not it could like, be a very good prospect in theory. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think the Tommy Malone deal as a whole for the Orioles has got to be a win. I think so, too, and, you know, that's why I thought that this was a deal that could have been made. Again, I didn't think it was likely just because of the guy's track record, but he was performing pretty well this year up until that first start in Atlanta. Uh, You know, had a four ERA and had a track record, and I just don't think teams have a very high bar for a fourth or fifth starter, Uh, and the Braves kind of showed that. And, look, uh, the fact that Elias was able to flip this guy – who was signed to a minor league deal way back when and was, you know, eventually made the opening day start, which, you know, was not planned by any stretch. But he flipped him for two guys. And if you get anything from him, because he's not going to be on your team after this year unless you sign him to another minor league deal. He's on an expiring deal, essentially. So you got something for nothing. And that is something that this team hopes to do every single time they sign somebody to a minor league deal or sometimes a major league deal i.e. Wade LeBlanc, i.e. Nate Carnes last year. These guys that are veteran guys that they hope, all right, well, he will fill in for us in the rotation, make some starts. Hopefully he'll stay healthy. Hopefully he'll keep the ball in the ballpark, keep that ERA under five. And then come trade deadline, some team will become enamored with him. Some team will lose their top guy and give up something. So, I mean, they added something for nothing. And that is... To, to me, this Malone deal was the clearest cut example of adding something, getting something back 
and really giving up very, very little. And I think something interesting about this Malone deal as well is that if Tommy Malone is still on the Orioles, if he doesn't get dealt, he's going to be starting games consistently throughout the season. His absence in the rotation now opens up opportunities for somebody like Keegan Aiken, who made his first career start yesterday, looked really good. So if you are dealing these rotation guys, like a Tommy Malone, who probably does not have a lengthy future with the Orioles if you don't deal him, you are now opening up those spots for some of the prospects that are are close to getting to the major league level. And like Keegan Aiken, he had bounced around in the bullpen a little bit. He had said he wasn't entirely comfortable in that role, wasn't really a bullpen arm coming up in the system. And now he's being he's his he's been given a chance in the rotation and he looked really good yesterday. Yeah. So that's a almost a benefit of not having Malone on the team anymore is that his absence in the rotation gives right. opportunities to other guys. And and this is one of those years where I think last year it was less the case because there weren't that many guys that were kind of pushing exciting young players that were pushing to make the major league team. They just kind of had a group in Norfolk that was just guys that had already made their major league debuts. A lot of them were 28, 29, and were just kind of had been bouncing around professional ball for a while. And so they, you know, they when they trade a guy like that, they had to fill him in with, you know, just another you know, guy that had been bouncing around Pro Bowl. In this case, though, this year shows the kind of progress that, okay, well, you know, we lost Tommy Malone, but we actually do have a guy now. We have a young guy that that is considered a top 30 prospect that we can slot right in there. And Aiken is probably going to give you similar numbers right now to what Malone was going to give you yeah. with much higher upside and a chance to be a consistent starter in the future, which right. Malone did not give you. Yeah, he, he, you get a look at Keegan Aiken this year. Absolutely. Um, which is absolutely worth it. All right, next up in terms of chronological deals, uh, the Michael Givens trade, which we predicted that he was going to be the most likely guy traded at the deadline. I think we put it at about 80% on our podcast before the deadline. He ends up getting dealt for three guys. One of them is a player to be named later. And then two of them were top 30 prospects within the Rockies system, come over to Baltimore, and are immediately slotted into the Orioles' top 30 prospects list, according to MLB Pipeline. You have to be encouraged by the return that the Orioles got for Givens. And the Givens trade has been something that's been bounced around for a while. For literally years. I mean, Rockabaca yeah. was talked about on his blog. He remembers answering questions about Michael Givens potentially getting traded back at the 2017 winter meetings, which I think was in Orlando, yeah. which was way back. Yeah. That was before Manny Machado was, was dealt six months later. So he has been the subject of trade rumors for years. Which means he's been a consistent bullpen arm, which is a hard thing to find, and that's why the Rockies give up two top 30 prospects to get him. And I think if you're Michael Elias, you know you have a commodity. You're just waiting for the perfect deal essentially, because he's probably have having a lot of teams calling him up and, and trying to submit offers, but this was probably just the best one. Yeah, I mean, he said, after Givens was dealt, he said, pretty much the day I got the job, I was getting calls on Michael Givens, right. uh, which was to be expected. Givens was a very solid piece in this bullpen when this team was making the playoffs. The last time, he, you know, the only playoff team he has been on was 2016, with the Orioles, but he was a great piece in that bullpen for several years. He, for the first three years of his career with Baltimore, out of a six-year career, he had a 2.75 ERA. 
And he was kind of under the radar because you had, that was a team that was built, not entirely, but a, a, a strength of that team was the bullpen. You had Zach Britton, you had Darren O'Day, um, you had Brad Brock. So he was almost an afterthought because he was a shortstop turned reliever and he was a great story, but he was also a really good pitcher. Right. So uh, for him to, you know, it, it we should give Givens his due, pun intended, uh, and because he was a very good piece in this bullpen for a while. Michael Elias said that he was he's going to be an Oriole for life. He has uh, been awesome in the community, uh, has been great with the media. So there, there's that to say about Michael Givens as well. And it's kind of funny the the similarities between the Givens trade and the Malone trade, they're at two very different points. But with Tommy Malone, you get a guy on a minor league deal. And with Michael Givens, you have a guy who is pretty much a, a no-name shortstop in the system who has worked his way up to be a really good reliever. So you have essentially turned two assets that really weren't all that valuable into a bunch of assets that were very valuable. And the yeah. two guys that the Orioles got in this deal for Michael Givens like you said, immediately slotted into the Orioles' top 30. We'll probably see in the majors over the next two years, I would guess, and they're both very good prospects. Yeah. Uh, Eric Arditi brings up in our comments, by the way, because we are live everywhere, that Givens was considered untouchable back in 2017. He was, at that point, coming out of that 2017 season, he was considered that good that the Orioles wanted to stick with him, and, and at that point, still pretty young. What was he in, in 2017? Yeah. He was going into his age 28 season, so entering really the prime of his career. Stumbled a little bit these last two years, but this year seemed to have figured it out, and the Orioles got just the right sample size and just the right amount of performances from him to convince other teams, all right, this is the guy that is pre-2018. This is the guy that was really good in the bullpen for a while. But let's get into the return on Michael Givens, Brendan. Yeah, the, the first guy they get, Taron Vavra. He comes in ranked number 13 in the Orioles' top 30. I believe he was around that same range in the Rockies system. He's a switch hitter. We're almost pretty sure because we keep finding <laughs> uh, highlights of Vavra hitting left-handed. Left-handed at the plate is his strength. He One, has more power from that side. And he's listed as a left-handed hitter right. according to several websites. But MLB Pipeline lists him as a switch hitter. So I think he's a switch hitter. We're, and Michael yeah. Elias said that he is a switch hitter, but with more power from the left side. Yeah. So maybe he's just going to be a left-handed hitter. I think that's probably the long-term path for him. It could be, but for now, we'll call him a switch hitter with a preference to the left-hand side. <laughs> yeah. uh, he was a third-round pick in 2018 after spending three years at the University of Minnesota. Scouting report says he has a good feel for the strike zone, and he's a natural hitter. He also walked as much as he struck out in 2019, which is great if you're going up through the system because a lot of times if you are a hitter in the minor league system, one of the things you have to worry about and have to improve before you get up to the majors are strikeout numbers and plate discipline, and he already has that, which is great. Yeah, I mean, he has to... The, the reason that we heard that he has to had to stay at A ball for the entire season considering he hit 318 and was absolutely raking there was to work on his defense. Yeah, stop me if you've heard that one before, yeah. Orioles fans. Yeah, exactly. So he has played in the 2019 season with A-ball Asheville. Uh, he played 41 games at second base, 53 games at shortstop. It seems like his better position from what we've heard is second base, but potentially he has the chance to, to stick around at shortstop or at least to bounce around and become a utility guy. 
So that is a benefit for him as well. You mentioned his, his strike zone discipline, hits with a little bit of pop. I mean, those 10 homers, that's not nothing. So this is, uh, I think, he fits right into this Oriole system and right into this meaty middle portion of this Oriole system that we'll get to. But you, you now have three guys there that are all shortstops. Between now Vavra, you have Gunnar Henderson, and you have Jordan Westberg, who they just drafted. Those three guys, I mean, the, the Orioles came into this season and Mike Elias came into this job with very, very few options in the minor league system in the middle infield, and he has added three guys between the draft in two years in a row and now a trade that none of them are top, top-tier top prospects, top 100 prospects, but you have a chance now to get a potential major league starter out of one of those three shortstops. And the interesting thing with Vavra, I think major league teams want guys to be able to be shortstops. Yes. I mean, if you look at the you MLB You want to stick draft, him there for as long as possible. Exactly. You're, you're holding out hope that he is going to be a good defensive shortstop. Look at the MLB draft. Second basemen just aren't drafted in the first round. It, very unlikely that a team is going to take a second baseman in the first round. I believe there was only one in the 2020 draft. Shortstops just have higher value. But I think the scout on, on Vavra is that he plays a decent defensive shortstop, but he plays a much better defensive second base. And I think if you're the Orioles right now, at least the way that I'm looking at it, you've got two guys who are ranked ahead of Vavra at shortstop in the system in Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg. I wouldn't be surprised if the goal is to try to keep either Henderson or Westberg at that shortstop spot. And maybe you bring up Vavra to play second base and an occasional shortstop right. would be my best guess. But I think he probably fits best at the major league level at second base. I mean, just the group now that they have there, you have to feel so much better about that group than you did when Michael Elias took this job in November, what, 2018. You know, a year and a half ago, two years ago almost. He he came he took over the system and it was pretty much Ryland Bannon was their only yeah. prospect in the middle infield and he might even be a corner infielder he might be a third baseman and now you have three guys there that have pretty high ceilings that all of whom really I mean that is just an impressive nice middle group there and that's what you have to do with these minor league prospects because even though there are big names. Not every minor league prospect is going to pan out. Right, of course. Not right. everybody in the top 30 is going to be Odds a consistent major league starter. Yeah. Right. Odds are they are probably not going to be. And this was kind of the point with the, the Kevin Smith deal as well for Miguel Castro going to the Mets. But the more guys you have in kind of the middle of the pack of that minor league system, you have a much better chance of hitting on a few of those guys. Because if... Let's say you are Mike Elias and you're coming in and you only have Ryland Bannon in the middle of the infield. You've got to be praying that Ryland Bannon turns into a right. stud because you have no other options. But right now, the Orioles have three guys that could potentially be a starting shortstop at the major league level. Yeah. Are all of them going to be? Most no. likely not. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Most okay. likely not. Almost definitely not. Almost definitely not. But you now have three guys with that possibility and your percent chance that at least one of them pans out skyrockets. Well, I appreciate you trying to jump the gun to the Miguel Castro yes. trade, but let's talk about the other part of this yeah. uh, Michael Givens deal. Uh, that would be Tyler Nevin, who is immediately slotted in as the number 23 in the Orioles' top 30 prospect list, according to MLB Pipeline. First baseman primarily, can play third base, 
and can be in the outfield. Michael Elias said that he, at this point, is considered serviceable at other positions besides first base, which you love to see because we know with, again, stop me if you've heard this again with, uh, you know, we're thinking of Ryan Mountcastle. That is exactly who we're uh, thinking of, yes. But the fact that he is able to be moved around, that is going to be huge for him as opposed to just being a first baseman. But he's a, another former top draft pick. He was taken number 38 overall back in 2015. Another guy like Vavra that has connections in his family to the big leagues. He is the son of former big leaguer and current New York Yankees third base coach, Phil Nevin. Uh, and a guy that struggled with injuries. That's why he, you know he's drafted five years ago, but he really has not reached his potential because he has struggled with injuries really for three seasons in a row. It looks like 2016, 17, and even 18 hampered a little bit by injuries. But last year, finally healthy in 2019, played at A-ball and did pretty well. The spark notes for me on Tyler Nevin, what I got from it is that he's essentially a slightly worse Ryan Mountcastle type prospect. He's not as good of a hitter as Ryan Mountcastle, but he's got the same potential with his bat in that he's a good contact hitter. He can hit for power and the bat is not the issue. The bat has never been the issue. He's had some problems with injuries coming up, like you said, but it's defensively. I think he's most likely going to fit at first base but like you said, he he could be a guy who can bounce around to the corner infield spots. I doubt they play him much at third base, even if he is serviceable there. But I think it's a similar thing to Mountcastle, where the bat is there, and you're just waiting to see where he's going to pan out defensively. So I, I think he's Ryan Mountcastle light. All right, he had 251, 13 homers, uh, had a, a number of walks, 65 walks, struck out a fair amount, but he had a little bit more power um, than Vavra, so he's going to strike out a little bit more. Uh, but 65 walks is pretty good. Uh, and they mentioned, Michael Elias mentioned in his press conference, that he went back and they watched tape of this guy in A last year, and he thinks that his numbers probably could have been a little bit better and that he was the victim of some bad luck at times. Uh, MLB Pipeline does think he is uh, his best chance to be a big leaguer is at first base, like, uh, like you mentioned with Ryan Mountcastle, but they might try him elsewhere as well. So just another guy that you add into this mix that just increases the the bulk nature of that middle portion of the Orioles top 30. Just another guy that you're you, these are all lottery picks and to get a guy like that as a kind of not a throw in but as a piece in this deal is is a nice return. Right, a guy who wasn't the main piece in this deal. He's right. not the most attractive prospect out of the two, but he's still a solid prospect that has a has a chance to make a difference in the majors. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the Miguel Castro trade because you teased it earlier. This one was a buzzer beater that we didn't hear about until after the deadline had passed, and we honestly heard about Kevin Smith being traded to the Orioles from the Mets before we heard about what the other side of the deal was. That was Miguel Castro, and there was thrown in either cash or a player to be named later by the Mets. So we will see what that ends up being down the line. But let's talk about Kevin Smith, the return that we know about from the Mets. This trade is funny because it turned in it, it turned from my least favorite move to quite possibly my favorite move. When I first heard it, my knee-jerk reaction was, man, I didn't think the Orioles were going to move Miguel Castro. Because he's young, he's what, only 25 years old? Yep. And sometimes you just watch Miguel Castro and you think to yourself, how in the world is any batter going to hit that baseball? 
his stuff is nasty. And I don't think anybody has denied that throughout his time. But the issue is just always the ups and downs with Miguel Castro. He hasn't been the most consistent guy. His control isn't always there. And when Miguel Castro is off, he's off. And so initially I was like, man, if Castro can just figure it out, I think he can be a really good piece in this Orioles bullpen for a long time. And I think there's still a possibility that he figures it out a little bit and gets more consistency and turns into a really good bullpen arm for a very long time and maybe one that the Orioles are wishing that they hadn't traded. Yeah. But on the less percentage chance that that happens, in return, you get the best prospect that you've gotten for the entire trade deadline. A better prospect than you got for Michael Givens. Yeah. Which is big. Yeah. I mean, that. I was honestly kind of surprised with where he was slotted in. He goes in at number 12 in the Orioles system, according to MLB Pipeline. So that is one spot ahead of Vafra yeah. that they had just acquired. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about Michael Givens because he he does have electric stuff. Miguel, you know, Ca- Miguel Castro. Miguel Castro, sorry. Yeah. Um, he, he has electric stuff. And Orioles fans for years have been watching this guy saying, if, they can, if he can just harness it, if he right. can just be more consistent, because there are times when he is just electric, absolutely electric, has a shutdown inning, nobody can hit the ball. The movement on his pitches yeah. are ridiculous. And the velocity, I mean, the, the guy has amazing stuff. He is just 25, but also consider he's been a Major League Baseball player for five seasons now. And he has had moments of being a quality reliever. His best season came back in 2017 uh, when he had a 3.53 ERA with the O's. But other than that, he, he has been below average and inconsistent to say the least. And it, while the age certainly is what is probably the most attractive piece about him, besides his great stuff, you know, the, the fact that he is 25, he has been around for a while. So at some point, he has to figure it out. And the Orioles were willing to bet that a Kevin Smith slash player to be named later or Cash is more likely to benefit them in the long term than Miguel Castro if he figures it out at some point. And it's, it's a bit of a gamble, I think, with Miguel Castro because there is a possibility that this trade was the most value you are ever going to get from Miguel Castro because he's yeah. only going to get older, obviously, and he's either going to figure it out or he's not. So say next season, Miguel Castro is lights out. He finally figures it out. He's you know got just everything working. At that point, you might have been able to trade Miguel Castro for an even better prospect than you get in Kevin Smith. But in the scenario where he doesn't figure it out, he continues to be really up and down and have good days and have bad days, you get a prospect that's a lot worse than Kevin Smith. So I think if you're Mike Elias, this is probably the happy medium where there's still a shot that Castro improves and gets a whole lot more valuable, but there's also a shot that next year he still doesn't pitch as well and other teams look at him and say, all right, this is a 26-year-old guy who, yes, has good stuff, but has not been able to figure it out. Why would I give up a number 12 prospect for that? Right. So I think right now there is a good chance that this is the most value you are going to get for Castro. It kind of reminds me of the Kevin Gosman trade because Gosman was another guy similar to Castro that had been very highly hyped through his minor league career. I mean, Castro was a, a top prospect at one point. He was considered a very valuable prospect in trades. 
similar to kind of Kevin Gossman, was a, a very valuable prospect coming up for the Orioles. Not quite to Dylan Bundy's level, but was had quite a lot of hype around him. And then he gets to the big leagues, and he shows off this absolutely brilliant stuff. I mean, Gosman had outstanding stuff, and you just wanted him to be more consistent because there were outings where Gosman really struggled and just could not find the plate. And when they traded him, they knew that there was some risk involved, that there was some risk that he might figure it out somewhere down the line, and the Orioles end up, you know, looking bad because they gave this guy away for what ends up being less than what they gave up. The Orioles are taking on that same risk with this Miguel Castro trade. They know that. But the thing is, they're not competing this year. They're not competing next year, most likely. So they are betting that down the line, Kevin Smith will be more valuable in 2022 and 2023 than Miguel Castro will to to them. And that's the thing. Even if Miguel Castro goes to the Mets and turns into a really good bullpen arm, if Kevin Smith comes to the Orioles and turns into a rock-solid number three, number four starter, nobody's going to care. Yeah. Nobody's going to care. Because if Kevin Smith well, pans out, you won the trade. And, and for all that we hear, and I totally understand it, for all that we hear about Jake Arrieta from Orioles fans about, you know, you had Arrietta and you, and you gave him away and he wins a Cy Young, People don't talk about the fact that, that Gosman has struggled elsewhere. Gosman was electric in those two months that he was with Atlanta right after that, the trade at the deadline, but really has struggled. And he was discussed at the trade deadline this year with San Francisco, but he still is like a 4-5 ERA at this point. He really still has not figured it out. Not that he won't. He's still fairly young. I think he's still 30 years old. But it's just funny because you hear about the mistakes more often. When you lose a trade, you hear about it for years to come. But... When you, when you win a trade like that or when it's, it's you know, just kind of a toss-up, you don't hear about it for a long time. You hear about the, the things that you did wrong if you're Mike Elias. And these deals, we, we aren't going to know whether the Orioles won or lost these deals for a few years because we're probably not going to see these guys make an impact at the big league level. They're, they'll probably be in the majors in the next year or two. Yeah. I would assume, but there's a difference between being in the majors and making an impact in the right, majors. Of course. So it'll probably be three or four years until we can look back and say, okay, how did the Orioles do with the 2020 trade deadline? Yeah. Well, once these prospects are up and either performing or not performing, then we'll be able to evaluate. And at this point, I think we can say at least that they got good value. Absolutely. For what they gave up. In terms of ETAs, you mentioned it's going to be several years. Vavra's ETA, according to MLB Pipeline, is 2021. Uh, Nevin, Tyler Nevin's ETA, I believe, was 2021 as well. And Kevin Smith's is 2020. Now, I don't know if the that, that timeline is probably thrown way off by the fact that he was traded, by the fact that we have a 60-game season. But there is a chance that we could see Kevin Smith in the big leagues at some point over this final month of the season. I think there's a chance I would be surprised yeah. if he came up this year. I, I think he's more of a prospect to look at for next year, but he comes in as the there's Orioles' no number 12 prospect in the top 30, which means he is right there in the mix with a lot of the other Orioles pitching prospects that guys are really excited about. So if you're looking at Kevin Smith, you should have the same level ex of excitement as you do for a guy like a Michael Bauman, Dean Kramer, Zach Lowther. Right. He is right there. I mean, you go down that list. He is firmly in that group, and you should be excited about a guy like Kevin Smith. I think he has the potential. I think his ceiling is to be a number four starter. I would say he's got a high spin rate fastball. 
which is, you know, that's the hot new thing. If you have a high spin rate fastball, regardless of its velocity, if it's got a high spin rate, it's going to do good things. He's got a really good slider and he's been working on getting a plus changeup. So he's already got three plus pitches coming in. He's six foot five, which is, you know, just a great frame for a potential starting pitcher. And among Mets in the farm system last year, he ranked first in strikeouts, first in strikeout percentage, first in strikeout to walk ratio, and second in ERA. So this is a really valuable piece that you're getting in return from Miguel Castro. I think he could be a rotation arm, but at the very worst, I think he's going to be a long reliever. I think he's a very high ceiling, but also high floor guy, which is exactly what you want. Exactly. And you put him in that category with a Dean Kramer and a Michael Bauman and a Zach Lowther. I mean, it's the same thing that I just talked about with the shortstops. It's it's that middle portion of the Orioles system that they really needed to beef up, and they have done so. I, I need to talk about the fact that these three guys, I think, have ridiculously similar names. I have I have tried to... They're not, not similar in terms of exactly the same, but I have... They are tongue twisters in and of themselves. Say all three of their names... Without looking, without looking. Taron Vavra. Yeah. Tyler Nevin. Yeah. Kevin Smith. Oh, see, I struggle with that. It's not it, hard. You have Taron, Nevin, and, and Kevin. Taron, Nevin, and Kevin. Kevin. You have uh, Kyle and Kevin. And then you have Vavra just thrown there's in. There's not a Kyle. There's a Tyler and a Kevin. See, that's where I'm getting confused, <laughs> Brendan. Yeah. I, listen... <laughs> I think you might be the only one getting confused. I, I probably am. You probably are. I think I just generally need more sleep. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, that is our thoughts on the trade deadline and the Orioles' three moves that they made. But I also spoke to Steve Molesky of MassinSports.com about some of the moves that they might have made, some of the moves that they maybe could have made, and some of the guys that are still in Baltimore that were the subject of some trade rumors coming into yesterday and why they ended up staying in Baltimore. So here's Steve Molesky. Now we're joined on the Masson All Access podcast by MassonSports.com. Steve Molesky. Steve, thanks so much for hopping on here. You got it, Paul. It's been a busy few days in Birdland. It certainly has. We're going to talk about the deals that they made and then maybe some of the deals that they didn't make, maybe some opportunities for some deals there. But first, let's let's start in chronological order, I guess, and go all the way back to the Tommy Malone deal to the Braves netting two players to be named later, a guy that went from a minor league deal in February to opening day starter to netting two prospects in a player-to-be-named-later deal. Were you surprised that Tommy Malone was able to be dealt at the deadline? I, I Not really, because I think the fact that he does not have a long-term dollar obligation and he has right now having a good year. Of course, he didn't pitch well at all for Atlanta that first game. But, um, you know, so the Braves were not on the hook for much with the dollars. And uh, they, I guess they felt like they could give up young talent. We'll see whatever that turns out to be for a few starts to try to get over the hump and make a run here at the very end. And he was affordable for them, and they could pull the trigger on that. It was left-handed. And uh, so where the, for the Orioles' standpoint, Paul, worked out just – as they had hoped. You hope when you signed LeBlanc or Malone that one or both would do eat innings first, but they would be quality innings that help you win some, and then maybe you could flip them. So this kind of worked as they drew it up. 
And then the Michael Givens deal, which actually nets guys that have names for the time being. Of course, these players to be named later could be anybody not on a team 60-man player pool. But now we have a couple guys that we know about coming back in the Michael Givens deal who were immediately inserted into the top Orioles 30 prospect list, according to MLB Pipeline, correct? Correct. Um, You know, initially they ranked um, Aaron Vavra, number 12, Mm -hmm. the middle infielder, and they ranked Tyler Nevin, the corner infielder, number 22, and then they both got bumped down one spot when they ranked Kevin Smith, number 12, who they got from the Mets. So that's three in the top 23 plus five more, potentially six more players to be named later. And I only say potentially because the last one with the Mets was announced as player to be named later or cash. If that does turn out to be the player to be named later, that's nine players counting the three we know in four trades since late July. So, uh, you know, Mike Elias is continuing to pump depth and hopefully quality into building this elite talent pipeline. And then with the Miguel Castro trade, a guy who is still pretty young, still 25, 26 years old, were you surprised that the Orioles dealt him considering he still has a lot of ways to go in terms of his contract status with the Orioles could be valuable down the road? Why do you think they dealt him at this point? Uh, I think Mike Elias looks at these guys uh, as people first, but commodity second. And when it comes to baseball commodities, he puts a value on what would I have to hear to trade them? And Miguel having some team control, I think, helped them get a number 12 prospect and a starting pitching candidate for the future. <clears throat> and a guy, Paul, who is being ranked, if you look at where he sits in the Oriole rankings, that's right around Aiken and Bauman and Lowther and that group, which I think Oriole fans are very high on and feel uh, you know promise for the future with those players. We don't know they'll all be good, but we're encouraged by what they could be. And this guy slots in with them. So to me, that that seems like a pretty good acquisition. If he is, as a prospect in a similar group with Aiken, Baum, and Lowther, that's good company to keep. And and while I am a fan of Miguel Castro and, and the considerable talents he has, the one thing that has hurt him has been consistency. We know Miguel could be lights out for three outings and then be totally out of whack in the fourth one and give up a three-run homer. And I, and I have doubts that he'll ever overcome that. I hope he does because I really like him. And he's 25, so, I mean, he could be a great reliever for the next 10 years and maybe haunt the Orioles if he takes another step or two forward. But I think the inconsistency in the delivery uh, led the Orioles to think, okay, we may not be trading an all-star. We'll see. We wish him the best. And, Paul, I do think they have some depth in the bullpen at the higher levels of the minors. So, you know, Isaac Matson and Kyle Bradish are two guys that are in the player pool now at Bowie. Uh, Brian Gonzalez is there. And then those starting pitchers at Bowie, they have some pitching depth they like. So they sort of traded from a position of strength there. It is crazy considering how much the Orioles bullpen struggled last year that you mentioned it being a strength. And it honestly has been, even at the major league level, to some extent, they have gotten some quality performances from some guys that they might not expect the fact that they were able to deal so many guys from that bullpen, was that surprising to you as well? Or, or do you think that that is just a byproduct of the fact that we're seeing some career years out of guys like a Givens, like a Castro? You know, Blyer, Givens, Castro, that's a big yeah. chunk of the Baltimore Orioles bullpen. Yeah. 
And, you know, Blyer and Gibbons were really leaders on the bullpen and among the leaders on the team. Uh, last year, when the Orioles started a campaign to push Trey Mancini for the uh, All-Star game, and, you know, players were driving around Camden Yards in golf carts, and the team went all out. Gibbons and Blyer were at the forefront of, of getting that ball rolling. And, I mean, they cared about their teammates. Um, they were well-respected <clears throat> and well-liked in that clubhouse. And so we, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact you lose that, too. So you hope others eventually take the mantle there and run with it a little bit because uh, Gibbons <clears throat> had to do that. He was not a leader. He, he was a guy learning the ropes from Britain and Brock and O'Day. And then they were all gone. And Michael looked around and said, I guess it's my time to <laughs> show some leadership here. Everybody's been traded. So I guess some similar things are, are happening now. Yeah, it is interesting. The, the, the kind of roles that Michael Givens has played over the years, we've seen him go from, as you mentioned, kind of an afterthought in that bullpen and, you know, just a, a surprising young guy who went from a shortstop in the minor leagues to a pitcher and was turning some heads to all of a sudden he was a closer last year and then a trade piece eventually. Why do you think this was the right time to deal a Michael Givens after we've heard his name being thrown around in trade talk for years? And as Michael Elias said, he's gotten calls on this guy since the day he took over the, the job in Baltimore. You know, I think the return is what made it right. And Elias said as much. He said, I've been hearing on Given since the day I took the job. <laughs> but until this deal, I didn't really feel the value was what we should get. So he, you know, did a good job as a GM and said, I'm not just going to trade him because I'm hearing a lot of buzz on him. I'm going to wait until I hear what I like. So, I mean, Michael Givens brought two top 20 prospects and another player to be named later. That's a good return for a reliever who does have one more year of control. And and I think the year he's having this year showed Colorado, hey, this could be a real weapon for us, and we're going to try to make a run here. So it made sense for both sides. And, I mean, I'll, I'll miss Michael Givens. I really, li I really like that kid. He was, he was great to me personally in terms of I would go up to him when it was going good and when it was going bad. And he never said no or not today or see me tomorrow. He always answered every question I had. And I mean, over many years, look at how long he's been here. And I, I just personally respect him and like him. And I respect how he made a career out of being drafted as a shortstop. And they converted him to the mound. And I remember the big the big key, Paul, was the year I think they had him at Bowie. And I, they may have had him start games or maybe I'm confusing him with Tanner. But they really worked very carefully and meticulously and slowly to convert Michael and as Oriole people told me then, listen, a lot of teams convert guys and it seldom works. Not only did it work that he made the majors, he made the majors in the late innings. And so uh, now after serving the Orioles for all these years, he brings a nice return. So in effect, he's still serving the team after he's gone because uh, they turned him into what they hope will be good players. Yeah, and Michael Elias said he will be an Oriole for life. He was very complimentary of what Michael Givens has done, not only on the field, but off the field as well. Great guy in the community. You mentioned great with the media as well. So he will be missed, but he does, as you mentioned, help the Orioles out on the way out by netting them some prospects as well. Some deals that we heard about coming into the day that might be on the table in terms of Alex Cobb. His name was at least thrown around in, in trade speculation. 
Jose Iglesias occasionally had his name brought up in some national trade discussions. What did you think about the fact that neither of those guys ended up getting dealt, and do you think there were some factors there that led to them staying in Baltimore? You know, certainly could have been dollars with Cobb and the the dollar commitment through next year on his contract. And as some fans pointed out on my blog, this this will probably be revisited at the trade deadline next year when he's a rental and there's less dollar investment for an acquiring team if he continues to be healthy and pitch well. And maybe these last couple starts where he wasn't quite as sharp as he was in some earlier games, maybe that knocked it back a peg. Who knows? But I'm okay with the Orioles keeping both those guys, Paul. And uh, they are uh, key members of the team. They're older members of the team, which there are very few, and they like to be leaders. And, I mean, for years the Orioles had mentioned Iglesias, and at one time there was this talk of he's maybe not a great high-character guy, and they're finding out the opposite. He is a high-character guy, and any of those rumblings were had no basis. And, I mean, the play he made yesterday, it did remind me of Derek Cheater in the playoffs a little bit. I mean, that saved their bacon because they were uh, – Mike Bordick called it on the mass and telegas. They were a little out of position there on that relay, and he saved the day. And so the guys hit oh, – and oh, he's hitting 400, oh, by the way. So that, <laughs> there's, that, there's that too. And I do think, Paul, he bridges the gap. If they keep him all the way through next year, which they can, they give time for the minor leagues to start to get these middle infielders they're drafting and developing to get closer, closer, closer. So it makes sense for me to hang on to him right now. It does, especially considering I think probably if a Richie Martin were healthy at this point, maybe he would be getting some playing time at shortstop. There are other options there, but the fact that you don't have Martin and you've needed Iglesias to be a spark plug in that lineup probably uh, helped keep him in Baltimore as well. But, Steve, we know Michael Elias, we knew coming into this deadline based on the moves he had made earlier in terms of a Richard Blyer deal, We knew that he was probably going to be a seller or at least stand pat at this deadline, considering the Orioles are still within shouting distance of a postseason berth. What do you think of the team now that we have lost those three guys from the roster? And and do you think that they have any chance of recapturing the kind of magic that led to that 12 and eight start to the season? It seems unlikely, but I do think, Paul, what's happened in the last few days There's been a turnover and there's been a renewed energy, I think. And we know that Brandon said one night, we're an exhausted team. So I think they got to kind of break through that barrier. But I think Lopez throwing as well as he did, Aiken throwing as well as he did, Mountcastle keeps raking. This injection of youth is, is I think, going to serve as a nice boost for the stretch run. And it probably, the math probably won't work out for them, but if they win a few games here the next week or two, it'll still be interesting with a couple of weeks to go, which could make it fun. And if they don't, I think fans should start to look to the future. And and I'm excited to see Lopez and Aiken pitch again in a couple of days um, and how that goes. I'm excited to see if we get more young pitchers from Bowie. Uh, you know, for instance, today, they may need a left-hander in that bullpen. They're, they're kind of short there. Uh, Fry pitched two and a third. Tanner Scott's pitched four of the last six games. Aikens in the rotation. What's their bullpen lefty for the game with the Mets? So uh, Brian Gonzalez, come on down. We'll see what's going to happen here. But um, uh, so anyway, there is a little bit of a turnover here in recent days to even more youth, 
which I think could be exciting. Absolutely. There are there is a, a solid group of prospects at that alternate site that are just waiting to get the call that you mentioned. It could be tomorrow, could be this week, could be later on in the month of September. Um, but there is such a, a exciting group of prospects just waiting to wake, make their way to Baltimore at some point. But Steve, your postgame show on 105.7 The Fan, of course, you have been doing it all season long, taking calls from fans, even into the wee hours of the morning. How has that been going, and is it great to, to hear from Orioles fans as this crazy up-and-down season has been going along? Paul, our show loves those 2.07 p.m. afternoon starts. <laughs> we get it. We get on and the sun's still out. What a bonus. Um, it's been going good. I love doing it on the fan. We're on 105.7 The Fan. It's usually about 30 to 40 minutes after the game ends and, and the radio guys are finished with their postgame coverage. And then we jump in and take some calls and talk about the game talk about the future, talk about the trades, anything swirling around the Orioles. So I love doing it. I love engaging fans. As you know, I get it 24-7 between my blog, Twitter, and radio. Yep. There's nowhere I turn, Paul, where fans aren't reaching out to me. But I'm from here, as you know, and I was one of the them, and I still am to a degree. You know, you're not a fan when you're covering the team, but I can't take that part out of me. I'm a lifelong Baltimore guy who grew up loving the Orioles, so I do enjoy talking to the, uh, the fellow fans about what's going on with their team, and we're, we're having some fun. I'm sorry you won't get to talk about Towson Athletics this fall. That's, that's the only downside, I think, Steve. That is a downside, yes, yes, but I understand why that is, <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to miss tailgating uh, <laughs> for sure, for obvious reasons, <laughs> uh, and watch sitting in the stands and watching games, but... Um, you know, I just feel for everybody in the sports world because we're having a tough year and, and um, you know, I don't I don't I know people are having tough areas outside of sports. So we just we just want everybody to be healthy and happy. If you can get those two words, Paul, it's a good day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Steve, thanks so much for hopping on Mass and All Access podcast. No bigger Towson fan that I know of than Steve Molesky joining us here on on the podcast. Thanks again. Bring Steve. on. The JMU Dukes. Bring them on. <laughs>